You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Locked on college football. Matt Moscona, Kevin McGuire here spending this Thursday with you. We are brought to you by Rock Auto. RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Kev, we're the uh, the lucky ones, I guess. Um, The most massive announcement so far in this college football season. I guess this trumps the August 11th cancellation announcement now that the Big Ten is back into the fray. And we get to be the first really to dive deep into it. All right, you're you're a locked on Nittany Lions guy. You're a Big Ten guy. Give me your reaction. I am giddy right now. And I, I still want to say that I want to believe this when I see it. But I do think that we are going to see some Big Ten football this fall. Conference comes out, announces they've got the unanimous vote in favor of returning to the play putting out the, uh, well, we ha- don't have a schedule just yet, but the, the plan is there. And that's what Big Ten fans around the, the Big Ten footprint have been itching for. And now we finally have it. We've got some concrete confirmation straight from the Big Ten saying that they are getting ready to play some football. We're still going to have to wait a little bit for it, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people are a little bit more at ease now, certainly around the Big Ten, than they have been for quite some time. Yeah, we talked last week, and you and I agree. Like, a spring season was never going to be practical. Uh, because a spring season was clearly going to end up impacting the fall of 2021. And it, there was no way that the Big Ten was going to allow itself to have two seasons impacted. Uh, were you – are you surprised that they're going to play? I'm a little bit surprised, although I will say over the course of the last few weeks, uh, my optimism was starting to regain some momentum just based on some of the the tea leaves that were out there. Certainly, we knew that the Big Ten was never exactly all on the same ship as far as this decision was made. And of course, there's been a lot of uh, PR issues going on from the Big Ten, and there's been a lot of public pressure. I don't know if that necessarily forced the Big Ten to get back to playing some football while some of these other conferences are showing that it is possible to put a football product out there. But I think bottom line is the revenue is going to speak for itself. And that's what a lot of these decisions are being made of. But I I never wanted to rule out anything entirely. I was very skeptical and I was going through some dark times when I figured, all right, well, I'm just going to have to wait till fall 2021 to see some Big Ten football. But I did feel as though as we got a little bit more advanced with the testing and all the sciences stuff that's been going on with that. Uh, There was a a door that was being crept open for the big 10. And I think they're slamming their foot through it right now. So every uh, anybody that follows me on social media uh, or who listens to my radio show knows where I I stand on this. Um, And and I, I I hope I don't uh, spill any of this on, on your shoes, but I, I don't know any other way to say this. Number one, I'm, I'm thrilled for the student-athletes. I am. Uh, I'm very, very happy for the Big Ten student-athletes who work their whole lives to have an opportunity in a very finite window to play college sports. It's a rare opportunity that anybody's athletically gifted enough to play major college football. These guys are. And because of a complete void in leadership and uniformity from university presidents, the conference commissioner on down, the Big Ten ended up with what was a month-long PR disaster. Unlike we've ever seen from the Big Ten because they had such steady leadership with Jim Delaney for so long. Kevin Warren got a a very rude welcome into this, almost like a substitute teacher, and it's hideous to have programs talking about potentially leaving your league, to have coaches, players starting petitions. 
parents rallying at the league office, the president of the United States tweeting, trying to get you to play football. I mean, I don't care about the political aspect of it. The point is you have to have your ducks in a row. You have to be able to show a unified front as a conference, and the Big Ten failed their student-athletes miserably. Now, here's the other part of this, too, and I get it. I'm in Louisiana, and this isn't going to sit well with a lot of people in your neck of the woods, Kevin, but I'm going to shoot straight with this because I don't know any other way to say this. The absolute absurdity of the Midwest and Upper East Coast elitists who pointed their finger at the Southeastern Conference for continuing to progress amid COVID, all of them should be utterly ashamed today, and they should all apologize. When I have to look at tweets from Darren Ravel insulting the medical task force leaders in the SEC and the Big 12 because they practice medicine below the Mason-Dixon line, the hypocrisy and the amount of stereotypical behavior involved therein is unbelievable. Mike Wilbon, Desmond Howard, Big Ten alums, Christine Brennan, all talking about how Nebraska should be kicked out of the league. Hell, they should be writing thank you cards to Nebraska because without Nebraska being willing to walk through that bleeping door, brother, I'm going to tell you what, there probably isn't enough of a groundswell to make this happen. Nebraska's pushback initially is what brought so much public attention onto this movement. So, Everyone involved in Big Ten territory who looked at the SEC, the ACC, the American Athletic, the Big 12, and said, oh, look at these hicks down there. They just have to have their foosball. Bleep you, brother, because let me tell you something. You A month ago, you tried to lay this on myocarditis. Last I checked, you hadn't figured out that myocarditis thing. The bottom line is... You, you fudged up. That's what happened. You made a preemptive decision. You thought everyone was going to follow suit. Everyone watched you walk out in your little Jerry Maguire moment, and everyone else kept on doing their thing, and you looked awful for it. And everybody who teed off then, the Big Ten's making the right decision. The health and safety of the student-athletes. We have to consider the long-term effects. Myocarditis. All of that's gone today, right? None of that exists anymore. But guess what? The Big Ten's going to play because it's the right thing to do, because there is a way to safely go about doing this and everything else in our society. Like there's a safe way for people to go back to restaurants and people to go to work and do all these other things, go to grocery stores. There is a safe way to proceed. And the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 showed the way and the Big 10 had to fall in line. I hope for the betterment of the game that you and I both love and that everyone listening to this loves just by the nature of the fact that they're listening to this, that in the long run, College football is better for having gone through this experience, so that way maybe we can come to some sort of Power 5 unity if in event something like this comes up again in the future to avoid this. Because what has happened to the game we love over the last four to six months has been an utter disaster. Thank God that schools like Central Arkansas and South Alabama said, we're going to go play. So that way Ohio State's coach, Ryan Day, could say, you mean to tell me South Alabama can play football against UAB, but the Ohio State University can't? It's maddening. It's maddening that it happened this way, but everyone who, and I told you, I told you, I hope it didn't spill all this on your shoes. Everyone, <laughs> everyone in other parts of the country who looked down upon the, the Forrest Gumps and Bobby Boucher's down here, you owe us all an apology because without us, there is no college football right now. All right. Well, uh, let me see if I can just uh, get back to you on a couple of things here. First of all, love the passion and fire in your voice, my man. I feel like I'm watching one of your Instagram feeds right now. Uh, but I got to say, yeah, I, I'm with you 100% on this. Obviously, 
the, the biggest issue always is going to be the health and safety of everybody involved. If you feel as though you can put out a product and ensure that there's not going to be any additional risk than there already is inherited in the playing the sport of football the, to, associated to players, coaches, trainers, anybody else that may be involved. If you don't feel like you're comfortable putting that out there and you're putting those people at risk, then I fully get the idea of not playing. That said, if you're not going to play, you better be able to back that decision up, stand by that decision, and have a unified front. That's really what the biggest issue with the Big Ten was. It wasn't necessarily not playing football, not playing other fall sports. It was the fact that they made that decision, and then it took how many weeks before Commissioner Kevin Warren or anybody from the Big Ten was able to come up and follow up on the, the so many misunderstandings and the misinformation or the lack of information. That was the biggest PR nightmare, as you said earlier, that the Big Ten really brought upon itself. That's what made this thing a whole lot worse than it had to be. Like, so like I said, you know, it's not the decision not to play. It's how you follow through on that decision and how you support that decision. That lack of leadership that the Big Ten had exhibited was very rare for this conference, as you mentioned, and was just what made this so shocking. And you know, are they are they moving forward now with some egg on their face? Yeah, probably. But so, you know what? It's, it's time to turn the page and let's see what they can do next let, to ensure that when they do get on the field, that they are ready to go and put together whatever season they're going to have without any interruptions and without any additional uh, harm to the players involved. All right. So let's go there when we come back. The Big Ten is the Big Ten champion is going to be in the playoffs. So how does the Big Ten playing? impact the playoff the new year six the schedule as a whole we'll dive into that and what it means for the pac-12 who's still on the sidelines and we'll preview week three games coming up as well here on the locked on college football podcast we're brought to you by rock auto and rockauto.com rock a-u-t-o.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need you got a headlight at rock auto I did, and I'm about to place an order for some wipers because right. uh, I don't yeah. know if any rain is in my forecast, but I do need some wipers. I put them, put them off long enough, and the fact that Rock Auto makes it so easy to find every part that I need for my car, uh, there's really no excuse. I need to go to that website right now, rockauto.com, check out the wipers that they have available to me, and uh, make sure I let them know that I came there from Locked On by writing Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because you should do that, and everyone should. When you get to check out at rockauto.com, make sure you mention Locked On College Football uh, so we get the credit. We're all about credit here. That's what we want. We want credit. So when you go to Locked On, or when you go to rockauto.com, make sure you mention Locked On at checkout. We continue here on the Locked On College Football Podcast Thursday edition. Glad you're hanging out with us, Matt and Kevin. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so yet. However you listen to your podcast, we appreciate you for being here with us. Today's episode brought to you by rockauto.com. All right, so we 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 very um, uh, adamantly stated our case uh, about the Big Ten's decision. They're back in. I'm thrilled for the student-athletes to get to play. And, Kevin, I do think that this is better for college football as a whole to be able to welcome in another of the Power Five, it it will certainly, in the minds of many, legitimize the season even more. And I think you're talking about a league that that's going to elbow, you know, fight for elbow room not only in the playoff but in the New Year Six. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the scheduling that the Big Ten is moving forward with, and again, they're targeting the weekend of October 24th. It's going to be a later start than all these other conferences, but if they're going to play eight games in a span of nine weeks and have a conference championship, that still puts them in the conversation to have a team qualified for that college football playoff. Again, I say qualify 
we don't really necessarily know how the college football playoff is going to be put together, but the, but the fact that the Big Ten is able to get their season in before those decisions are going to be made around the same time as the other conference championship games, that certainly says that, uh, yeah, the Big Ten's in it. So that's good news. I agree. I think uh, more football is better. Getting more variety is always nice. Uh, you may not like the Big Ten. You may not like the SEC, but you know you're going to watch them. I know I am. Yeah, I, and listen, I, let's just be. I mean, the giant elephant in the room, obviously, is Ohio State. It would Justin Fields mm-hmm. back. That's that's a a team that even with some of the opt outs, you know, Sean Wade and, and Wyatt opted out this week. It, that, real, real quick, uh, Wade has also said that he is way he's trying to get the work done to get to be able to opt back in. Okay. So I don't know exactly what that status will be in the next twenty four hours, but it does look like he still wants to play. If so, that's as at the time that we record this, he's still out. But even even if he's out. I don't think that that materially changes Ohio State's chances of making the playoff. I think they are obviously going to be the odds-on favorite to get in. The other interesting thing is people are going to talk about the eight straight weeks. I don't think that's that big of a deal Uh, because we see that routinely in college football where I'll give you an example, LSU, who I cover, they always have their open date the week before the Alabama game, which would be the first, either the last week in October or first week in November. So if you're starting end of August, beginning of September – you're playing that long of a stretch anyway before you have an open date. So I, I I think that that's far more manageable than many may think as far as the playing eight consecutive weeks leading you know from the end of October leading into the, the Big Ten championship game in December. So I I don't I think that's immaterial. I, do you? I, I don't think it's as big of a deal as some people may okay. make it out to be. I, I do think that it's supposed to be eight games in a span of nine weeks. Yeah. So you may have a bye week anyway. So uh, I don't know exactly how that's all going to lay out. Obviously, you don't want to have the entire conference having a bye week the same week. So I imagine it's a little scattered. So I, I wonder who's going to get the week two bye week, <laughs> for example. <laughs> but I, I'll be I'll be curious to see what happens with the schedule when they put it out. But yeah, I, I think um, you know they've already had how many bye weeks up until the start yeah. of the season t- in a way. So I, I'm not as concerned about that. And hopefully, you know, the extra time now that they have to prepare for the season, they'll be in shape. They'll be ready to go for what's ahead of them. And the thing about in high school, in many places you play, if you get to a state championship, you play 15 consecutive weeks. You you don't get a week off. So I, 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 I don't think that that's going to be as big a deal. The other thing, though, that I do think is is impactful and this is maybe a, a little deeper dive into the whole conversation about uh, about how COVID's impacted college football programs. Remember, the way the college football playoff revenue distribution works is the Power Five gets like a, a base of like fi- payout of $50 million per conference. And then you get shares based on how many teams make either a, a playoff game or one of the other New Year's Six games. It ranges from like 4 to $6 million. Mm-hmm. So if you would look at a lot of projections with no Pac-12 and no Big Ten there were some projections that the SEC was going to have five teams in, like two teams in the playoff and then three in the New Year Six. Well, you're talking about in the range of twenty to $30 million potentially in a payout that could be altered now because the Big Ten is going to get a team or teams into that. So let me ask you, Big Ten guy, we're all talking about Ohio State. Who are the other Big Ten teams that are, are positioned to make a run at either the playoff or you know, one of those New Year Six games? Not to sound like a homer, but the obvious answer is Penn State. You know, Penn State has been the program that has 
played Ohio State more consistently than anybody else in the Big Ten. And going into this season, there were some very high expectations for what the Nittany Lions were going to be able to do. Yes, Michael Parsons has opted out. I don't think he's going to be coming back, but this is still going to be a really well-rounded team. Uh, Sean Clifford, another year as a starter. They've got a tremendous running game. Uh, The defense is going to be fine. And the only game, the only team that really has a decided advantage over them is going to be Ohio State. Now, again, I don't know what this can happen with the schedule, but every schedule that has been updated has had Ohio State coming to Penn State. Okay, no fans. I understand that. It's a much different atmosphere, but that's still a little bit of an advantage. It's probably neutralized a bunch by not having the fans, but you know, getting a chance to take Ohio State on at home, uh, that could be huge. And again, don't know what's happening with divisions or whatever. If they go like the ACC yeah. has done with scrapping divisions, you know, maybe Penn State can still get a, another shot at Ohio State if things go well. but uh, So that's why Penn State is the, the easy answer. Uh, if you're looking for the long shot, it might be Wisconsin because they're still the best team in that West Division. And I don't know if Michigan is ready to uh, make up the ground in the short period of time that we have on Ohio State. So that's really the interesting question, though, right? Because it's like if you are – to win a, to win a, a, a conference championship, you got to make the conference championship game. So you always have to look at who's the team from the other division that's best poised to do that, and that's that's got to be Wisconsin, right? I mean, who- well, the, there is another answer. Uh, Minnesota. Don't, don't give me Minnesota. Oh. I, I'm going to give you Minnesota. <laughs> I, I, I get again. I, I get what you're saying here. Wisconsin is clearly the team that I would go with, but Minnesota is not necessarily a joke. Or, or do they have Ohio State talent? Absolutely not. But in a one-game situation, can some crazy things happen? Yeah, I think P.J. Fleck has something going there. But, again, I don't know what the state of the Gophers is going to be because that is the one program that is not seemed as enthusiastic about getting back on the field as quickly as possible. Maybe that's going to change now <laughs> that they are yeah. playing, but they haven't been the program that's been very outspoken about you know wanting to play this season. Well, the good news is that we're having football conversations and we can actually debate the merit of these teams on the field when they do get on the field uh, for the SEC. And uh, that'll be a week from Saturday, September the 26th. For the Big Ten, it's going to be October the 24th. A little bit longer of a wait, but it looks like they're going to get it in to be part of this playoff run. This weekend, though, we actually have games, as will be tradition here on Locked on College Football on Thursdays. We'll run through the slate of weekend games We'll highlight the big games and tell you who we think the winners will be. That's coming up next as we wrapped up here this Locked On College Football podcast brought to you by rockauto.com. Wrapping up Thursday edition of the Locked On College Football podcast brought to you by Rock Auto and rockauto.com. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet, and we appreciate you for being here with us on the Locked On LSU Podcast Network, being with us here on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On College Football. Matt, Kevin, all right, uh, Kev, we previewed week two, kind of a weird week two, man. It saw a lot of upsets. I don't know how you felt about it top to bottom. I mean, the, the Big 12 obviously took it on the chin from the Sun Belt. But you know what, man? This isn't something that's altogether been atypical. Like, Arkansas State and Gary Anderson, he's built a good program there. Even back to Gus Malzahn and Hugh Freeze, uh, Coastal Carolina won at Kansas last year. So that maybe wasn't even a tremendous surprise. And when you look at ULL winning at Iowa State, that's probably the biggest surprise. But, man, I mean, the job that Billy Napier's done there, they won 11 games a year ago. I think the only reason he didn't go interview for the Mississippi State or Baylor job is he knew he had a squad coming back this year. And I don't think on a sleepy day in Ames with no fans, that was a motivated uh, ULL team. And I I don't know that I was tremendously surprised to see that play out the way it did. Do you think we're going to continue seeing that level of upset? 
You know what? I talked about it last week on the podcast. We're going to see some sloppy play by some teams, and there are going to be some teams that that's going to cost them. And I think that that's what came into play here for programs like Iowa State and Kansas State and Kansas. Not to take anything away from these Sunbelt programs, because I, I really like what a lot of these programs are doing and growing something. And of course, you know, they play in the Sunbelt. They're going to get overlooked by a lot of people, yeah. but you know, not to me. I've been watching these group of five programs for quite some time, and I see some good things happening in the Sunbelt. And it was certainly on full display last weekend and week two. Can they carry that over now and see some of those teams carry that momentum moving forward and maybe even get a team into that New Year's Six at the end of the year? Might be a little bit of a long shot, but I'm here for it. All right, well, we do have Thursday football. A Coastal Carolina fresh up there upset of Kansas. They play Campbell uh, in Conway, South Carolina. We're supposed to get Houston and Memphis, but that game has been postponed. Um, let me ju- I- I'll leave this open-ended to you before we go through the full slate. What is the biggest game or the most interesting game for you this weekend? For me, I'm going into the ACC, and I'm looking at that Louisville-Miami game. I'm looking at two programs that are trying to prove themselves as legitimate ACC contenders to at least play Clemson in the ACC championship game. I'm not elevating them ahead of Notre Dame or North Carolina by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a big game because the winner of this game is probably going to stay on that radar for that ACC title game. And I think Louisville's got an excellent chance to not only beat Miami, but the way that their schedule lays out, they don't play Clemson. They don't play North Carolina. They've got a very advantageable schedule that they can take advantage of here if they can get this Miami win. This would be huge. It's uh, I don't know if it's, I would say it's an early turning point, but it can certainly be a catalyst for the momentum that they're trying to build there with Scott Satterfield as head coach. Yeah, Miami had a, a nice win over UAB, a really strong defensive performance. I think that's going to be the matchup to watch. The Miami defense against the Louisville offense. I know a lot of attention on De'Eric King, who didn't have a, a stellar debut for Miami, but you're right. That's a, an interesting one to watch this weekend with Miami and Louisville. That game is in Louisville at Cardinal Stadium. That's a 6.30 p.m. Central Time, 7.30 Eastern kickoff. That is the ABC primetime game. Um, I'll give you – I completely understand and agree that, that that's one worth watching. I'm going to keep my eye – I'm going to stay in the ACC. I'm going to keep my eye on Georgia Tech. Uh, and Georgia Tech is is hosting UCF, number 14 UCF. And UCF is favored by a touchdown in that ball game. And we know UCF – in recent years, has been somewhat of a sort of a mid-major darling, the Group of Five darling. They claimed a national championship that a lot of people laughed at, justifiably so. But you told me last week, don't sleep on Jeff Collins. Um, And last year was a disaster for Georgia Tech. And I get it, if you're transitioning from a triple option offense and Paul Johnson that had run that for more than a decade and trying to rebuild a program entirely, but Georgia Tech... Winning at Florida State was no fluke. They won that game despite blocked blocked kicks and turnovers. I mean, it was not a, a pristine game for Georgia Tech and still won that game in Tallahassee. Maybe that signals bigger trouble for Florida State, but, I mean, Kevin, I find myself looking at the ACC going, okay, who is going to challenge Clemson? Like, who can it possibly be? I watched Notre Dame last week. They weren't great against Duke. Everyone seems to think it's Notre Dame. Maybe that's them. But can someone pop up? and surprise Clemson. So I, I like your thought of looking at Louisville, Miami. I'm looking at Georgia Tech to say, all right, you got my you got my attention last week. Let's see if you can follow it up by beating a ranked team at home this week. Well, I'm going to pull back on the Georgia Tech hype just a little bit, which I feel like I started last week. But it's not, <laughs> I do let me think- be clear. I'm not, it's not hype. It's it's intrigue. I'm, I'm, gotcha. intri- I'm not saying that they're going to be a playoff team, but can one of these teams somewhere in the ACC – 
clip Clemson? Who is most likely to do that? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and I don't know if it's Georgia Tech just yet, because as you said, and it's something I've been a strong believer in, you know, Jeff Collins has a lot of work to do in building the kind of program he wants to do. Taking over what uh, the Georgia Tech was with that triple option, it's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. It certainly didn't happen in one year. I don't think it's going to happen in two years. But I think uh, defensively, that's his specialty, and he's going to you know build with that defense. He can work with that. And then you just kind of hope that your offense is going to win ugly. And if there's one thing Jeff Collins is not going to apologize for, it's winning ugly, because a win is a win at the end of the day. And I think Georgia Tech's got a couple ugly wins in them this year. I don't know how many there are, but I do think that there are a couple there. All right, let's I don't think I don't think this is going to be one of them though. I do think that UCF is going to win this one and they're going to win that one ugly. So, it's going to be an ugly game. Somebody's got to win it. I'm going with UCF here. I'm going to take Georgia Tech at home. I'll ride the bandwagon. Uh morning okay. morning game uh, well uh, a noon uh, Eastern 11 a.m. Central on Fox. This game thrown together quickly. Baylor hosts Houston. This game made made with a week's notice, essentially uh, opening the Dave Aranda era at McLean Stadium. Who do you like? I'm liking Baylor. I, I think Dave Aranda gets off on the winning foot. I, I do think uh, this is one of the games I'm more intrigued by because I want to see Dave Aranda as a head coach now. I think it's a you know he's obviously got a great history as a defense coordinator. Let's see what he can do now when he calls the shots. And if this is a close game, you know he may have to make a call that he's not typically accustomed to making. So I always look to see what's going to happen with a first year head coach uh, getting put in a tight situation. I think he's going to have a couple of this one. Dave inherits a program from Matt Rule that had solid defenses they will continue to play really solid defense being that it's Dave's first time being a head coach I know a lot about him from his time at LSU I have no idea what style of offense he wants to run so that for me is going to be fascinating what will Baylor's offense look like um Notre Dame we mentioned earlier they host South Florida this is their lone non-conference matchup did you watch Notre Dame against Duke Watched a little bit. I probably could have watched a little bit more, but I I saw enough. I thought Notre Dame, you know, played okay. Uh, I do think that we're going to see better Notre Dame this season. We may see it this week, uh, but I do think that Notre Dame is going to be a good enough team to be in that ACC title hunt. Um, and that's about as much as I can say about Notre Dame going I, into this one. I watched the entire matchup against Duke because I had I had money on Duke in the points, uh, and it and it it hit. Notre Dame is void of elite athletes. I, it was stunning to watch. I don't even know the kid's name, number 23, their running back. Uh, Kyron Williams is his Kyron name. Kyron Williams, yeah. Um, Kyron Williams rushed 19 times for 112 yards, a couple of touchdowns. He caught two passes for 93 yards. He's the most impressive offensive weapon they have, and I think he would get lost at a place like Ohio State or or Alabama or LSU. So I, I don't see it at all with Notre Dame being a, a major title contender this year. Clemson has a layup against the Citadel. There's the Miami-Louisville game that you mentioned, which is the nightcap on ABC. How do you see that one going? I still like Louisville's chances. I think this is a good hard-fought game. Um, I, I really like where Scott Satterfield has been doing in his short time at Louisville. I think he's going to get a nice early win to go 2-0. Malik Cunningham there, uh, the quarterback at Louisville. Let's see if he can get that offense going against Miami. I'm with you. I'll take Louisville at home, mostly because I like Satterfield much more than I like Manny Diaz as a head coach, but that's certainly one worth watching. All right, I'll give you one more. If you're looking for something completely off the wall, make sure that you catch Texas State. Texas State against ULM. I watched Texas State against UTSA. It went to double overtime. Absolutely bat bleep crazy. I'm telling you, if you want insanity, watch the Texas State Bobcats on Saturday night on ESPNU at Louisiana Monroe. You might have 100 points scored in that game. 
Hey, I'm all for a high scoring Sunbelt game. And of course, this is a Sunbelt opener for these two teams. And you do not want to go 0 1 in the Sunbelt because it's going to be a gauntlet this year. The Fun Belt, brother. Let's, I, it's college football, and I'm here for it. We're here for you every Thursday here on Locked On College Football. He's Kevin McGuire. I'm Matt Moscona. He hosts Locked On Nittany Lions. I host Locked On LSU. So do us a solid and check out our individual shows as well. Kev, would you say we enjoy a weekend of college football? Come back next week, Thursday. Do it again. Sounds like a plan to me, Matt. It is Locked On College Football, your team every day.